so it's been 22 years since 9-11 happened, and we have been doing a deep dive series on that subject matter. Um, but for the anniversary, we wanted to take a minute out and talk about those that we lost in it um, that have really impacted our hearts while doing these deep dive researches on this event um, and kind of a few things that stuck out to us um, while looking at this horrific day in American history. And we really wanted to mark today as a day of remembrance. There has been a few people that really, when researching, were I kind of felt were unsung heroes in a way. Yeah. You know, of the day. Yeah, that don't ever really get talked about too, too yeah. much. Um, and there's going to be a few on here that get talked about almost every year as well. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of like throughout researching and stuff, like I didn't know about either of the flight attendants or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know a lot, honestly, going into it. I just kind of knew what what the kind of happened that day. It, it really shocked me mm. um, how much, how little I did know about 9-11. Yeah. That's, that's what's been really crazy to me as someone that lived through it. And I guess we'll just start this with and, and let us know in the comments, where were you on 9-11? So Marcus, where were you when September 11th happened? I was at the family friend's house in Florida. I think it was supposed to be something like a daycare. It wasn't really a daycare. Um, they were but, family friends. Yeah, family friends. So um, I was with uh, their two sons, um, and we were all kind of hanging out watching Godzilla movies. Big Godzilla fan. And we went... I walked out of the room for a little bit. How old were you? Oh, dude. 2001 yeah. from 1997, four? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy that you can remember it. So, yeah. Well, I mean... And it's like literally, it's like bits and pieces. And then I do, I'll tell that in a second. Um, that came to me the other day when I was in the car. But, anyways, um, I walked out to go into the kitchen. I'm not really sure what I was trying to do in the kitchen, but I do know I had my sippy cup. It was a two, two fisted thing like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I was walking through and I walked back around and um, Uncle Dana, that's what we called him, turned around because I guess he heard me do something. And on the TV, I saw that very famous um, video of the guy jumping from the building. The one, the falling man. I don't know if they, did they have a video of him? I thought it was just freeze frame. It's either freeze frame or or the video of it. I see it and I'm just like, oh, that's happening. I don't understand, of course, right? And I remember Uncle Dana saying something, turning around, picking me up and putting me back inside the bedroom and telling me not to leave the bedroom. Um, And then when we moved up, to Canada, mm-hmm. I remember driving like near or around New York and you two talking about something happening there, but I don't remember. Oh, how interesting. I don't remember what was exactly well, said. You know what I remember? And mom says it's kind of a false memory-ish, but I remember there were police on the roads near New York City when we were driving through it to move to Canada. Because we moved, so we were in Jacksonville, Florida when September 11th happened, and then sh- very shortly after that, we drove to move to East Coast Canada and mm-hmm. we drove through New York. Yes. Um so I remember and I remember going over that really strange worded bridge. I can't think of what the the bridge's name is. That's where I remember it was the bridge. Yeah. yeah. On the bridge. I don't remember any police and it also it also could have been like you remembering that there were police there because there might have been a few people that got like pulled over or something. Mm-hmm. And then kind of like it also could that. be to me cuz uh, during that time just a few years later we went to Washington DC. And oh, there, yeah. there was heavy, heavy security at that point in time, too. So I might be getting my memories a little bit um, 
mixed. Yeah. You know, that as happens. children children tend to do. Yeah. Um so I was um at school and we didn't see it. And then you know, I find it funny that um Uncle Dana was so sheltering of you because I remember when we got home, um mom just had it on. Yeah. And I don't think she really sheltered you from it. No, no. But I don't. I think she was in the camp of like he won't understand what's going on, and I didn't. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, but. I think. I think. I think too. Mom was of that. She's of that age where it's like let them see it kind of thing. Do you, you know what I mean? No <laughs> disrespect to mom, but like yeah, 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 yeah. Mom picked me up from school, and she just told me um, a very evil thing happened today. Um, and she drove me home to the house and I just remember um, watching the towers but I mostly remember our cousin Benjamin was studying at NYU um, during that time and I remember the panic of Ann Ann trying to um, find out where he was Mm -hmm. and all the phone lines being down and I remember mom being very upset about that Um, so that's kind of what I remember and I was 2001 I would have been 8 I want to say Wait, how old were you? Four? Yeah. Yeah, I was I was eight or nine. Yeah. I'm very bad at figuring out what my age yeah, you were was. 10. Turning ten then. Yeah. We were so you know. I was very young. Mm-hmm. Very, very young. And very affected by it. And then I remember, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. A year later, we're visiting Florida and I watched with the Pattersons. So oh, I yeah. was just a little over ten. The nine eleven documentary by the Nadeau brothers, which is an excellent nine eleven documentary. They were, um, it's the only camera that was inside the towers that day. Uh, absolutely excellent documentary film. Um, but it was horrific. And I don't know why we, why yeah. her parents allowed us to watch that. Yeah, that's kind of, that's the question right there. And that really, really stuck with me. And I remember after watching it, I was like, we need to watch something good so I can fall asleep. And they were all like, you're fine. What stuck with me too was in that documentary, um, you hear the... Like yeah. Just the bang, bang, bang. And they say we realized it was bodies, you know, hitting the concrete. And to that point, we've said it a couple of times in our series. You, We really, as the American public, we saw from the outside the towers burning. We saw the devastation from the outside, but we didn't see what was going on inside. And from accounts I've read inside, I mean, it was not only chaos, um, but body parts and, and just destruction and devastation and you know you just don't imagine that in your your day-to-day nine to five going to work and now you're seeing your co-workers yeah. that way i just i don't know how the 9-11 victims deal with it and to that point a lot of them have gotten extremely sick afterwards yeah. um with From, everything that was inhaled and it's most of the uh search dogs ended up dying of things like cancer at, yeah at quite young ages yeah um because they were face first into all of it for a very long time. So I wanted to mention a few of the heroes um, that we've talked about already. So Daniel Lewin, he was 31 years old and he is the first who is believed to be the first victim of 9-11. Um, we talked about him in our first episode. Now, he was born in Denver, Colorado. Now, he w- had served four years in the Israeli Defense Forces as an officer. He was brilliant. We, I mean, we talked about yeah, that. he was a he computer was, guy, too. Yeah, yeah. he was going to be like the next Steve Jobs. At IBM, he was responsible for developing the Genesis system. And I believe his systems are still used today. He was using security um, forces, if you remember. Um, oh, yeah, So yeah, to yeah, protect yeah. your um, hard drives and all of that. Yeah, yeah. After receiving his Bachelor of Arts and his Bachelor of Science in 1995, he went to MIT. So 
man was he was studying for his uh, PhD and while at MIT he and his advisor came up with consistent hashing which optimized internet traffic and created a company called Acme Technologies again first episode I said I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right but it's um is still kind of in function, I believe, to this day. He served as chief technology officer and became a millionaire many times over. He was aboard American Eleven in the first class cabin, um, which is the first flight that hit the North Tower. Seated in 9B, close to hijackers Muhammad Atta and Omari, along with Al Saquame. Flight attendants who contacted, so we're going to talk about the flight attendants here, sh- here soon, okay. Betty Ong and Madeline Amy Sweeney, um, they contacted... Um, by phone, which a lot of people, I want to reiterate again, there were phones on the planes back then, not just those that the flight attendants could access. They were in your your head, the next guy's up headrest. Yeah, so like right right in front of you, you could swipe your credit card and utilize um, a phone and call down to earth. I believe it was Betty Ong that was in the seat talking um, when uh, the plane crash or maybe it was madeline one of them had gotten we talked mm. about that in detail and um, i think it was betty too i think no i think it was madeline because her it wasn't her her phone call was not recorded remember and she had hunched down in a seat and she was on the phone with her friend because remember when she called oh, yeah. down this was wild when she called down she got a hold of someone that was working there that didn't understand what she was saying oh, that it was an emergency yeah, yeah. they thought it was a prank mm. and then her friend took the phone because he heard her name and he was like amy what's up and and so and he talked with her throughout her last moments like yeah. he heard the plane crash absolutely devastating lewin he was seated um they believe in front of a couple of the terrorists and they actually believe so i found this out when the flight attendants called down um, they said they were reporting on the deaths that had happened in the cabin. So the other flight attendants that had been killed, um, along with some of the passengers that had been killed. So that's how we have this information that Daniel Lewin was the first victim of 9-11. And that um, it is believed, but I don't know for sure if this was relayed by the flight attendants, but it is believed that he um, understood what the hijackers were saying mm. because of his time overseas. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he did try to take action against them, and they killed him in that. So, and if, for, for those of you who have not been to Israel, um, Hebrew, Arabic, and English are all the, the that's the big three languages, basically. So he would have known Arabic from living in Israel. And they they believe too, if he hadn't been seated where he was seated, it most likely he might have had the upper hand in this, mm. um, which is really just devastating. Uh, really, it could have stopped uh, the first plane. You know, like, it's really mind-boggling. At the time of his death, he was only 31 years old. He survived by his wife, Anne, and his two sons, Aten and Itamar, who were age five and eight at the time of the attacks. In July 2004, it was reported that Lewin recovered remains had been identified, so they found him. And after his death, there's an intersection in Cambridge, Massachusetts, of Maine and Vassar Streets that's named Daniel Lewin Square. And at the National 9-11 Memorial, of course, he's memorialized there as well. You can find him at the North Pool on panel N-75. So they have the two pools where the towers once stood. And their footprints. Mm -hmm. Lewin is the subject of the 2013 biography, No Better Time, The Brief Remarkable Life of Danny Lewin, The Genius Who Transformed the Internet. So Betty Young, we mentioned just a little while ago, 
Um, she was one of the flight attendants. She was 41 years old. She was born in San Francisco. She was one of three sisters and one brother. She was actually approached. She was gorgeous. Approached for a modeling, modeling she career. She was. Her, her pictures it, oh, that I've man. seen. Uh, she's like, she's a real pretty, she's a real pretty lady. So she was approached for a modeling career and her mother did not approve of that. So she, she didn't end up doing that. And she worked at her parents' beef jerky factory, but also she was at. Um, what? Oh, hold <laughs> no. on. Hold on. I'm so sorry. What? <laughs> I didn't know this about her. Mm-mm. This is completely brand new. A beef jerky factory. Beef jerky store factory okay we got some we got some controversial tales here okay so interesting fact about betty young that we just learned we were kind of stunned about the beef jerky Store. factory factory yes and yeah. so we looked it up because i had always been under the impression it was a different kind of it was like a grocery store yes. and there was an article i read that her brother gave an interview talking about how the parents owned a grocery store that she had worked at but there's a ton of other articles that say it was a beef jerky factory or a beef jerky store on jackson street which is very interesting it is very interesting and, and mind you that might have been also i mean it's a grocery store of sorts mm. so i mean but going back to her mother disapproving of the modeling career mm-hmm. how very mother oh very mother how very mother but yeah she had nerves of steel so we talked about the in the first yes. episode we talked about how the store had been robbed she was held at gunpoint she had a gun to her head. She never panicked and just dad were being robbed and she told the robbers to get out. Like she she just like, she stood up for herself, man. And she wasn't ever shook up according to her sister. And to that point, there was a car accident that happened a few years later and it was on Highway 101 in San Francisco and Betty witnessed a car roll over. It had been hit by another speeding vehicle. Betty ran to the car that had rolled over and saw its occupant, Joe Ellen Chu, a woman that she met a month earlier while bowling. My goodness. Okay. I know. And Chu described the courage, kindness, and compassion that was exhibited by Ong saying most people would just pass by, but to stop and run to me, a miracle. Betty was one brave lady. She was an amazing person. Mm-hmm. I will say, due to the bravery of Betty Ong and Madeline Amy Sweeney, mm-hmm. that's why we know so much about American Eleven. Yes. Because there were a lot of uh, there's a lot of glitches in the story of 9-11 and finding out what happened on the actual plans because, of course, trying to get communication from up there is so hard. But those two women in an act of courage and bravery and also going against their own orders. Yes. They're the reasons we had the attackers' names immediately. We knew exactly who they were. And they're the reasons we know so much about what happened. Betty began her career with the airlines in the early 80s working in baggage claim department. For Pacific Southwest Airlines, which I thought was amazing. So she worked her way up. Mm-hmm. Um, became a flight attendant for American Airlines in 1987. She also was not supposed to work on September 11th. Yes, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, She but had she assigned was... herself to Flight 11 so that she could return to Los Angeles to go on vacation with her sister in Hawaii. Yeah, she called from the rear galley, just to put that in. Okay. So it was Madeline, Amy Sweeney, that was on the phone in the seats. She identified herself and alerted the supervisor that the aircraft had been hijacked. She gave the seat numbers of the hijackers, why we knew their names. During that air phone call, she reported that none of the crew could contact the cockpit or open its door, and that passenger Daniel Lewin and two flight attendants, Karen Martin, and Bobby had been stabbed and that she thought someone had sprayed mace in business class area. Oof. Yeah. And remember that all of them had reported they couldn't get up to the business class cabin mm-hmm. because there was something in that air. Yeah. 
and mace. Oh, yeah. mace, pepper spray, CS gas. That mm-hmm. stuff like sticks to everything. Now her name is also at the North Pole at the September 11th memorial. She is on N74. On September 21st of 2001, some 200 members of the Chinese American community in San Francisco gathered in a small park to pay tribute to Ong. The mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown, present at the gathering made a proclamation honoring people who died in the tragedy and called September 21st Betty Ong Day. And there was an outcry, if you remember, by her family after this event had passed Mm -hmm. to make sure that Betty Ong's name was known as it wasn't originally. People were reporting the information she had given everyone, but not saying where they had gotten it from. And so they wanted to make sure that their relative's name was known as one of the heroes of 9-11. How awful. Like, how awful do you have to be to, to not do that? Ong is also memorialized on Gold Mountain, a mural dedicated to Chinese contributions to American history on Romalo Place in North Beach, a street that she used to skateboard and play on as a child. The Betty Ong Foundation was founded to honor Ong's interest in the welfare of children by providing, in the words of board member David Huff, training and guidance on nutrition, health, physical activities, leadership skills, critical thinking skills, planning, group, and team activities and community awareness and cohesiveness. In March 2013, the foundation publicly opposed the decision of the Transportation Security Administration to allow knives with blades up to 2.36 inches long back into aircraft for the first time since the 9-11 attacks. Can you imagine? Yeah, and also... it was just box cutters that was the terrorist weapons of choice. And also 2.36 inches is significant... Because two inches is medically a medically significant cut that can kill you is two inches. Yeah. So I don't know why. We're still separating our fucking liquids. Yes. Uh, stop it. I'm, I'm not allowed to bring a full-size shampoo on. That's I, have to, I have to take my shoes off. Point, no. Yeah. Thank God. Ong's sister, Kathy Ong Herrera, speaking as the president and CEO of the foundation, stated the horrific events that took place on the morning of September 11, 2001, began with the takeover of American Airlines Flight 11. Terrorists took control of the aircraft by first fatally stabbing two flight attendants with box cutters. My sister, flight attendant Betty Ann Ong, along with the entire flight crew and passengers, were murdered. There are no words to describe the gut-wrenching pain and grief our family has experienced. Things that no other family should ever have to endure. I support the Coalition of Flight Attendants Union's position to reverse the TSA's decision to allow knives and other dangerous objects on aircrafts because it is about everyone's safety. And because of the Foundation's work, along with a coalition of groups, the plan by the TSA was abandoned. I remember when that was... I don't. I didn't know that was a whole thing. Yeah. So Madeline Amy Sweeney, she was 35 years old. She was born in Valley Stream, New York. She was a flight attendant for 12 years, asked to take an extra shift because another flight attendant was ill. We talked about that as well. So both of these flight attendants did not. They weren't supposed to be there. They weren't supposed to be there. She normally worked only part-time because of her child. We already talked about Mm -hmm. that. Now around 7.15 before the plane took off, Sweeney made a call to her husband, Mike, from the plane. He said this was highly unusual. She was disappointed that she had not been able to take their five-year-old daughter, Anna, a kindergartner, to the school bus. Her husband, Mike, told her that there would be plenty of days ahead to take her kid off to school. After the plane was hijacked, she reported by airphone, along with Betty Young, the seat numbers of the hijackers, which later helped investigators determine their identities. We knew them like that because of these ladies. Sweeney said that one of the hijackers had shown her a device with red and yellow wires that appeared to be a bomb. And of course, this brought several other flights that had witnesses to a proposed bomb, although Mm. we now think that those bombs were a hoax in order to get the passengers to do what they wanted. Mm -hmm. 
At 8.46, Sweeney was on the phone with Woodward, her friend, when the plane crashed into the North Tower. She said, I see water. I see buildings. I see buildings. We're flying low. We're flying very, very low. We are flying way too low. Oh, my God. We're flying way too low. Oh, my God. She is survived by her husband and their two children, Anna, who was five at the time, and Jack, who was four. Sweeney's name is located on panel N-74, the National September 11th Memorial's North Pool. On February 11th, 2002, your birthday, Sweeney was commemorated in a series of new annual bravery awards initiated by the government of Massachusetts. The annual Madeline Amy Sweeney Award for Civilian Bravery is awarded every September 11th to at least one Massachusetts resident who displayed extraordinary courage in defending or saving the lives of others. The first recipients of this award were Sweeney herself, Flight 11 Captain John Ognowski, and Sweeney's fellow flight attendant Betty Ong, who had relayed the information about the hijacking to personnel on the ground. They were all residents of Massachusetts. Relatives of all three accepted the awards on their behalf. On the 20th anniversary, Amy's husband remarked that it did not seem like it had been 20 years that had passed and the pain of her loss was still very present and still very real. And we've talked a lot about Flight 11 and about the memorial. Mm -hmm. Um, There's memorials all over this country um, concerning September 11th. And it would be remiss not to to mention, um, we visited a few of them. Most Mm. recently, I visited the memorial in Boston. Flight United 93 that crashed on the Pennsylvania field. You visited that memorial. And that was was insane. There was, there's still, at least when I was there, um, there was still a crater, like a a gouge Mm. in the earth. Um, It was also weird uh, being able to see the the random stuff that survived that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was also... Here's something. Well, I have a question about that. Yeah. I know the layout of it kind of sort of because I've Googled it. Mm -hmm. So there's like, and I'll show photos. There's like a building, a huge building that's kind of oddly shaped. Yeah, it's weirdly shaped. And then there's a path where you follow where the plane went. Yeah. As you walk down to, and then you're you're pretty far away from where they actually crashed, right? Yeah. When when you're in that building, you're probably like 500 yards or Mm -hmm. so, like around that from the actual gouge in the earth. Um, and then the walking trail, like down, uh, we did not go on it. It was not open at that time. It was, I think it was deemed unsafe or something because of the, um, recent weather. So we weren't allowed to walk down it. Um, which was a little bit annoying. Um, my mom and I actually, we've now, we've both been to 9-11 memorials with mom. Oh yeah. That's weird. Mom and I go to the memorial in Boston at the Boston Logan airport every time we're there. It's very, um, it's always eerie to me to be in the Boston Logan airport. I always remember that day. I mean, two of the flights took off in Boston Logan. Yeah. And I don't think anyone can really, knowing that information, can really go through that airport without thinking of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like a really somber moment, you know, when you remember it. And you also think like when we last left Boston, it was an early morning flight. Yeah. And I remember thinking like this, this was just like that flight, Mm -hmm. you know, people got up and like, it's just crazy. Just a normal day. Normal day. But when I joined the military in Canada was right around September the 11th of that year. I think I think when I put my actual hand on the Bible, I think it was September the 11th. Uh, yeah, it the 11th. was, I'm pretty sure. And that was kind of like symbolic for me. When I joined it down here, I always joked and said it was only about the money. Fun fact, we don't get paid very much in the Army. But I mean, like, the real reason is, like, there's still that little part of me. Like, part, I think, in every, especially young men inside of America that want to get, like, their 
their comeback, right, mm-hmm. from that. Um, even now, you know, with some of the stuff we've talked about and some of the stuff that's come to light recently, things may not be as they seem. Uh, but when it comes to um, kind of the heart of every American, especially around that time, and you can even look at it through the through the music industry, our minds went from okay, everything's kind of chill, everything's pretty vibey, like in the 90s, to suddenly, okay, rah, 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 let's go America. uh, What did Bush say? You're either with us or you're against us. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've talked about that in other episodes and how that was kind of to the detriment of us as well. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of thought process. um, And really was to the detriment of a lot of Muslim Americans as well. Oh, yeah, and and Sikhs too. Oh, my gosh. The stuff that was, the horrible things that were done to Sikhs, especially in New York City. Yeah. And Sikhs are not Muslims and Muslims are not Sikhs. Yeah. People just, they got this idea of what a, a terrorist should look like in their head um, from the government, from the media, and started to enact some sort of revenge on these people that had nothing to do with it. No, as we, I but, mean, we've looked through, like, so much of this and, and the this changed our world. Yes. It changed our entire world globally. This was the first event, as I was going through the 9-11 memorial in New York City, it starts out with this is the first globally witnessed event. Like this was globally witnessed mm. because of television. And it's it affected people all over the world. And as you walk, as you begin to walk through the 9-11 memorial in the footsteps of the Twin Towers, because it is, if you don't know, underground. And you are literally walking through the foundation of what once was the North and South Tower. Um, you are seeing photos of people in new york city reacting to seeing the tower so you don't see the towers yet all you see is the visceral reaction of people in the streets and then what you're hearing is phone calls from all around the world in different languages that are translated for you of people also in real time reacting to new york city having planes flown into buildings my goodness and it really brings it home that like the whole world saw it and um, it affected us all, affected us all to the core. And I think the, the repeated visceral images have really um, stuck with a lot of Americans. And, and I don't know how the victims of 9-11 that survived and the victims' families have dealt with that for the past 22 years. I feel like you wouldn't be able to turn on the TV on September th- the 11th. Yeah. Like you just wouldn't. And so my heart really goes out to them today. This is such a difficult day in America. I do feel like as every year goes by, we get farther and farther away from it. Hmm. We now have grown adults that aren't aware of that day, really, except for it being American history. And, I mean, going back to the whole military thing, my senior drill sergeant asked, when we were all on the drill floor, how many of us have uh, could remember 9-11? And it was me and two other guys that raised our hands. Yeah, so I think I think it's important. I think it's important to talk about. I think it's important to look back at, um, like we have done in these yes. deep dives, and look at our history with eyes from years later, and also with younger eyes that weren't so old when we went through it. Because I feel like there is a huge gap between generations, not because of age or anything like that, because of technology. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and now we have the means to kind of like really kind of look at it, but also to that point, there's been so much that has been taken off of the internet about it, yeah. which is also very interesting. There's so, a, an insane amount of censorship around it. So I think it's always good to be aware of your history, but um, really today, 
it should be such a day of remembrance. Um, I think I remember when I was in high school and we I was in Canada. Um, I went to a private school for two years after being bullied out of my public school. That's beside the point. There was one year we went to chapel. We had to do that every day mm-hmm. in the morning, and they didn't do one minute of silence at all. And I was really shocked by that as an American student as well, a dual citizenship, that there was no remembrance at all for it. And then I also remember years later at when I was in university in Canada, nobody mentioned it for an entire day. I was kind of like waiting, you know, for mm-hmm. someone to, you know, start class with it or something. And then Jan Wong, one of our journalism profs, um, she's like, everybody, you know, remembers what today is, right? And, and she kind of went through it, especially since she was one of the journalists that responded to it. She had to get to New York. They were closing the borders. It was a whole, she went through the whole thing of trying to get to New York to report. And the city was closed and yeah. everything. But I just think we all really do need to remember, regardless of where you are in, in the world, and um, remember those that lost their loved ones today. Um, there were so many. Yeah, I always feel like today too, but I always like to remember Kevin Cosgrove on this day. He worked in the South Tower of the World Trade Center. He went to work like any other day. Um, when the North Tower was hit, he'd even called his family and told them that he was fine. And then he was trapped in the South Tower. And during the hearings for the 9-11 Commission report, they played audio of his 911 call that really showed the amount of human suffering that day that we didn't see on TV, we didn't see. Um, and I, I would like to play that because it's something that every 9-11 I kind of look to just as what it was like to be in the towers that day, the amount of human suffering mm-hmm. that happened and in the wake of it too, what happened with his family after. Um, I, did, I did a TikTok on this last year. It was really horrific and it just shows so many people went into work that day it was a normal day, and then this happened. Smoke rises to the roof, they're on the floor, in the window. 
46 years old he was married to a school teacher and he had three children so he had a lot to live for mm. it's a horrendous horrendous event that happened um on our soil there's a lot of amazing people that ended up dying that day um and yeah like you can kind of you can process emotions like me where you're just kind of angry you don't have to be confused and angry or anything but you can just be angry um about the whole event you don't have to be angry at a single person because i mean this is it's such a tragedy. It is incredibly hard to wrap your head around the fact that all of these people, when you go and visit the monuments, you go and visit and you see these walls of names or you see all of these cards that people have left behind from different countries or, or their same families. Um, you see all of that and it's really hard to, to wrap your head around it until it's like two months later and you're starting to really think about it and you're like, oh, this, this dude like, you know, Chick-fil-A or something like that. Like, what was his order at McDonald's kind of thing? Yeah, he was yeah. just a regular guy or she was just a regular girl. Um, everything was going fine until the first plane hit. And then suddenly the entirety of the day changed. As tragic as it is, um, 
I think us as a nation, yes, we did go through our couple of decades of not really growing from it, not really processing from it, just being angry, lashing out, and all the rest of it. But I really do think, especially hearing the people um, my sister's age or older, um, or even people my age, uh, that sit back and, and think about what actually happened, you know, with a clear mind. They're not sitting there trying to make jokes or anything like that, but it's just a clear mind just saying, hey, this is what happened. This is kind of how I feel about it. I think that really has changed over the past couple of years. Well, so. I will say now, and uh, maybe this isn't the episode to do it, but maybe it's the, the episode to do it. Um, I would say now we're almost sweeping it under the rug. Yes. Um, and more and more every year it gets swept under the rug. Um, and I just want to say the 9-11 victims' families are still fighting. Um, they're still fighting for some kind of repair to them. Uh, they're fighting uh, for the Saudi Arabian government to take some sort of responsibility in this. And honestly, like, if you look at Ali Soufan, who worked for our FBI, who worked with John O'Neill, who is another hero of 9-11 mm. that we talked about in an entire episode, um, we're still waiting for our government to take some responsibility for any sort of accountability any, any sort of, of accountability. accountability so on um, it's just devastating and devastating what we lost devastating what could have been saved because we had so much information um and it's really just too bad um but thank you all for being here and we look forward to seeing you again soon